I'm Rachel Michelle Wilson. Today I'm sitting next to Angela Femkranz and the animated film lover, board gamer, and children's book author illustrator, Brianna Carzoo. In this episode, Brianna shares how a mislabeled shy kid who loved acting chose courage instead of fear to pursue a passion for storytelling, the inspiration behind her beloved books about powerless inanimate objects who discover what makes them special, and why she prioritizes a life outside of publishing. I hope you'll join us today. I saved you a seat. So I'm curious what the kid table was like for you as a kid. Yeah, growing up, my a lot of my mom's family was in Ohio, so we had to road trip to Ohio to see family, and I had a ton of cousins, so the kids' table was like the card table in my aunt's house with all the kids at it, <laughs> and it was just a lot of fun. Like, it was definitely, those were family vacations. Like, I don't remember vacationing anywhere else. It was just to see family, card tables with tons of kids at it, take out pizza, <laughs> <laughs> that was the kid table for, for me growing up. That sounds like a fun party. What kind of snacks were your favorite? I, I think I was thinking like lunchbox snacks. And I think like my favorite like lunchbox treat was definitely like Dunkaroos, the little like chocolate frosting ones. That was definitely, definitely the snack of choice. <laughs> yeah, those are delicious. Okay. Um, just to get to know your personality as a kid, what were, what are three words that would describe you? Uh, the, the first definitely would be, I, I hate to label myself as shy. That was the label I got from other people. Um, but I was definitely slow to warm up and I was a really, really sensitive kid. Like I was very aware of my environment, didn't like loud noises, didn't like if, you know, at preschool didn't like if people were looking at me or like if I was making art, it was like, I need you to be far away from me or I'm just going to clam up and freeze like a deer in headlights. Uh, definitely was the creative kid, but I needed, I needed the space and I needed the quiet in order to, to really be that kid. Um, but yeah, definitely the quiet one. I had a friend who was mislabeled as shy. Would you say that instead of shy, maybe it was like sensitive? Absolutely. I think definitely like slow to warm up too, because once I was familiar with a place or with certain people, I definitely would come alive and be a lot more, um, you know, playful and fun. But if I was in an unfamiliar place, I was like shut down, not speaking. Like I would go home sick if my like first grader kindergarten teacher was out and there was a sub. Like I hated it. I didn't talk to <laughs> so you. Other you kids. didn't actually get sick because of it, but you would just play sick. <laughs> yeah, I would basically play sick because I didn't like a substitute teacher. Like I was very um uncomfortable with the uh unfamiliar then. And mm. so it was really, really hard for me to uh come alive and be myself in places that were unfamiliar to me. So but as soon as they were, I could definitely be more alive. And uh, being at home was always and still is to me like that more safe space. Like, Brianna, you're like, if someone moves your cheese too fast, I think um, that's what makes you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a lot better with uh, unfamiliarity than I used yeah. to be. I've I've picked up and moved many times in my life. Like, I think I really surprised my family who I was as a kid and who I am as an adult have not yeah. actually been the same at all. Like I've picked up and moved across country many times, not knowing anyone, um, you know, jumping into different jobs, things like that. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, like kid me and adult me are, are quite different people um, in some ways, but the creative aspect of needing quiet, needing solitude, that absolutely has stayed the same for me. Like if my husband is walking around the house, I need earplugs and noise canceling headphones, <laughs> like that kind of level quiet. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's a good skill because, you know, this this job can be isolating, but it sounds like you're very comfortable with that type of isolation. Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's like a, sort of a home feel for you. You feel at home in it. Yeah, I think I need both. Like, I I think it's important to make sure that my life isn't just being an author illustrator. And so, you know, taking rowing classes Mm -hmm. and getting out of my house and meeting up with friends and playing board games, like, I need other things in my life too beyond this. And I think that helps round out kind of the quiet and solitude of making art. That's a great, that's a great, I'm glad you keep that in mind, that balance. And um, I've seen you talk about rowing and mentioning rowing on Instagram. I was just curious how that's going and what you're learning as you like do that and push yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I got my level one certification, which basically means I can get on a boat and go in the water, but it doesn't mean I can go unsupervised. So uh, I've got a trip coming up. And so I'm, I'm hoping to get back to rowing after I come back from that trip um, and, and join and go on a regular basis with a coach. Cause yeah, you got to be watched with a coach boat following you so that you don't uh, get stuck in a bush like I did or flip your boat. <laughs> Like my husband did. It's hard. Rowing is hard. I think it is people hard. don't realize like you have to go backwards and <laughs> you're going backwards the whole time that you're rowing. The boat is like as wide as you are. It's not even designed to like keep yourself up without oars. It's hard. It is a lot harder than I expected, but it's quite fun. Well, so wait, so Angela, have you done it too? You said it is. Have you done it? Yeah, I mean, just like for leisure and recreation, like when I was younger with my family, and it is so hard to control it. Um for some reason, like, like kayaking, I feel like you move, it moves when you tell it to move, but like with rowing, like you can keep on trying to row thinking you're going one direction, but you don't like it has a mind of its own. If you don't know, I guess technique, which I didn't, and I still don't, <laughs> but it looks like that's what Brianna is learning. So it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And what a workout. We'll have to try it. So, um, when you said the kid you is different from the adult you in some ways, similar in some ways, I'm curious what kid you wanted to do versus, you know, did the kid you want to do be an author illustrator or was there another dream job that you had? It's kind of hilarious. One, I think like most author illustrators, I had no idea that that was a job. You don't even think about the fact that people do that. <laughs> like you're just like, oh, this is a book and that's a thing. Um Kid me definitely wanted to be an actress for a while, which is bizarre (laughs) because of how like quiet and shy I really was around other people. And it's really funny looking back at it because like when I took acting classes or when I was a part of like school plays, I would totally light up on stage and I really genuinely enjoyed it. And I ended up going to college for animation. I think it now makes sense to me, the idea of being able to put emotion and story in a character, but not have to be the one on stage. So I could put that into a character. And I think that very much leads into uh, writing books and illustrating books, because you've got these characters that are basically acting on the page, and I'm able to bring them to life, which is very much like acting, but I don't have to be the face of it, which is ideal. I would much rather make a fire hydrant or a traffic light be the face of my books instead of me. So it's, it's 
somehow worked out, but it didn't make sense back then. <laughs> no, that well, and it makes sense. Yeah, I love that it makes sense now. And the reason why I asked you about like the sensitivity thing is because you know, sensitive the word sensitive can be very weighted. And when I was a kid, being called sensitive wasn't a positive thing. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a very weighted word, but, and I wanted to ask you about it because I feel like I can sense in your characters and in your stories, the sensitivity as a superpower, like your ability to emotionally connect even with objects. Um, and, and I, I just really admire that about you. And so it's cool to see like what you said of your kid self versus your adult self, how that, you know, sensitivity, and it sounds like you had an experience like mine where sensitive was a negative thing, but how you've been able to use that as a superpower. And so I'm just curious, like what, what stuff from your kid self is similar that you can use now in your book? Yeah, I think a lot of it is that, um, one, thank you. (laughs) But, um, I think, I think sensitivity was really hard as a kid because, there was such an expectation of, I think kids in general are expected to deal with the unfamiliar on the regular basis, do things that they don't know, go places they don't know, talk to people they don't know, and have a good attitude about it. That wasn't me. Like <laughs> I wasn't just going to smile and be excited to say hi to someone I've never met or go to somewhere I've never been. Like And being expected to just do that with no agency, with no choice, was really hard. And I think so much of my younger self was about not feeling like I had agency, not feeling like I had choice. And so I ended up putting that into characters that for most part don't have agency. Lou is bolted to the sidewalk. Where is he going to go? How's he going to change his life? Greenlight is similar. She's hanging from, you know, public infrastructure as a traffic light. She doesn't have a lot of uh, agency or power in her life to make changes. And so for me, it was thinking about like, For a lot of kids, they don't get to choose when they go to school, when they wake up, what they're going to eat. They don't get all of that choice. And I think for me, thinking back to my kid self and say, what power do I have or what power did I not see that I might have had back then or that someone could have helped me see maybe in myself or within the world? And I think thinking about myself as a young kid and what what did I need or what did what did I need help seeing in myself or expressing in myself those feelings of hopelessness or lack of agency um I needed that and I I think I'm creating characters that are able to um discuss feeling hopeless or not feeling uh a lot of positive self-esteem um but being able to do that in a way that adds levity and is is funny and enjoyable at the same time um, so that it doesn't feel so heavy and so that maybe life doesn't have to feel so heavy for, for kids that are feeling that, that way too. And it's funny because you can see the thread of, it's like everything that's happened or decisions you've made have come to this point. And it all makes sense. Like it's, you can see the things being threaded through themes and actions and into your book and into your life and who you are as an adult, which is really neat. And you just, what you're really good at is being able to express that in such a concise, neat, understandable way. I I appreciate that. That's not how my process goes. (laughs) Like, I mean, I think Lou and Greenlight both are like multiple massive notebooks thick of like writing and writing and writing. Um, But yeah, it's important to me to like try to figure out how to 
to reflect on my own life or my childhood or these characters and and distill things down into as you know simple and ways that can also communicate with a sense of power but how I speak in real life oftentimes if I haven't thought of something for a long time I can be quite long-winded trying to figure out and and figure out where I meant to say what I did or something that sort. I feel like I relate a lot to Lou and I related to, I would have related to him as a kid of that sense of powerlessness. And I had never thought about that in reference to like your inanimate object characters and how powerless they really are. And I know it made me think while you were talking of your experiences that you mentioned in another interview, where for a long time, you know, for, you said for like 10 years, it took you a long time to what you call take your interests seriously. And I really was curious about that because I related to that personally a lot. And it just kind of reminded me of what you were saying of that sense of powerlessness and finding your own power. And I'm curious how you did that, how you embraced your dreams fully and what that whole process of those 10 years looked like. I know that's a big question, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, the biggest one is like student loan debt is, is tough. And I think for a lot of my experience post-college was try to make my bills, pay my rent, <laughs> stay housed. Like I was, you know, offering to work every extra hour, every bit of overtime I could to be able to make ends meet for a long time uh, and grew in those opportunities to be able to make quite a good living for myself and pay off student loan debt. And I think it was at that point, getting closer and closer to that point, I had told myself for years, like, when I pay off this debt, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And the closer I got to that line, the more terrified I got because I was like, well, what is that? What am I going to do with my, with that time? Like, this isn't it. This isn't what I want to do. And I think like picture books was something that just kept growing for me and the interest in picture books and wanting to go to the library and check them out. And I think as I got closer, I finally said yes to myself. And I think that so much of our experience, especially as kids, we get told no all the time. And I think we learn how to tell ourselves no more than we learn how to tell ourselves yes. And I think that I spent so much of my time telling myself no, that I never said, yeah, why not? <laughs> like, let's follow that curiosity. Let's follow that interest. And, you know, I think what's so great about childhood and play is that you're not expecting an outcome. And I think the reason it was easy to tell myself no for so many years is that it was impossible to see the outcome. It was impossible to see if I start writing or if I start making more art, what am I going to do with it? And I wanted to be able to say like, yes, I will be able to publish this or whatever. And I think there was a certain point where I just started to tell myself yes and say, whatever the outcome is, I don't control that. I just want to do this. Like, I want to see what I'm capable of. I want to see if I can do this. And I started listening to that and spending the time with it and reserving more books. And um, at one point, like I was consulting for a company, I was working uh, three days a week for them. I negotiated that because I was like, I want to take myself seriously. I want to really try to do this writing and illustration thing. And there was a point where I, I struggled to make enough space and time for myself. And so eventually I said, I'm going to have to cut this down. I'm going to have to make myself hungry. And so I quit and was like, I'm going to quit and see what happens. And I'm going to give myself a year. I've saved up to, to be able to give myself a year and just see what happens and really made myself go for it and really started to, to take it seriously and say like, 
all right, you're hungry. You got to prove this out. You got to go for it. And I think that's when things started to, to become more real for me. And I realized that like, without that kind of hunger, I had a hard time really pushing myself. Um, and I think so many people tell you don't quit your J job. And like, I think they, they mean well, but everyone's situation is different. Um, I had an incredible amount of privilege through the work and jobs that I was doing and paying off student loans to have that opportunity and make that opportunity for myself, which not everyone gets. And I definitely acknowledge that, but I think, you know, you also have to trust yourself and what works for you. And I think I knew what I needed to do at that point. Um, or else I was just going to keep kind of avoiding and telling myself no and and not really going for it. And I think I knew I needed that push and I knew what it looked like. And it took me probably a year to finally be like, all right, I'm, I need to just do this for myself because I knew I wasn't giving it my all at that point. And yeah, I, I know that that I speak with a huge amount of privilege in saying that that was my my opportunity um, because absolutely like this job doesn't pay a lot and not everyone gets these kinds of chances. And I think it's unfortunate that this industry doesn't offer better pay and more security for people that are creating books or paying contracts on time to make this possible for more people. And so I think it's important to say all of those things when talking about my journey. No, I mean, I think, um, I mean, what you're all your, what everything that you're saying, I think still takes a lot of like courage and bravery to say, to kind of really jump into something versus having one foot in your current world and then a world that you want to be in. So, um, I mean, I think kudos to you because sure. I mean, everyone's situation is different. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, and it's a lot of what my, when the company I work for, we always say, are you hungry? Like when we're interviewing people, like how hungry are they for mm -hmm. this, for what they want? And so I think that's important to acknowledge is, at the end of the day, do you really want it? If you mm -hmm. do, I think you can figure out your situation um, and and make it work. Absolutely. And wanting it isn't everything. Like I knew for myself, like no matter how much I would want it or how much I would go for it, didn't guarantee anything at all. And so I gave myself a timeline and said, this is your timeline. This is what, you, you know, make of it what you can do your best. And at that point, if like a year is up and we have no hope that this is going anywhere yet, then I'll find another consulting opportunity or something to kind of be able to do both at the same time and continue to pursue that while off also offering myself more financial support. And so I, I definitely had an idea for myself, like, you know, what amount of time am I going to give myself so that it doesn't become just, <laughs> you know, like that it wouldn't feel like failure at the end either if it hadn't worked out for me um because i wanted to make sure that i yeah that i i gave myself a chance but that i didn't look at it as if the rest of the piece of the puzzle that i don't control if that hadn't worked out like that i still could have been proud of what i did um and what i put forth and i think that's something i try to focus on a lot for myself is how do I feel about myself? And do I feel proud of what I've done? Because I don't get to control how everyone else responds to me or my work um, or what I'm doing. But like, do I feel good about it? <laughs> and making sure that I continue to ask myself that question, uh, because I think it'd be a lot harder to continue on if I didn't feel good about what I was doing. And I think we were just talking about this the other day in, in a chat, Angela, just something about the idea of like, I needed to be proud of myself, or I needed to I needed to do right by me. Um, 
and I needed to speak up for myself and do right by me. And I think, I think that's something I tried to ask myself a lot, um, is, is doing right by me. Yeah. And staying, staying true. I think mm-hmm. for me, I think your great, greatest quality, just being your boutique partner and kind of hearing about your journey in a more intimate way through our chats and critiquing, um, is being able to stay true to yourself and then, um, standing up for that truth. Um, because mm-hmm. like you said, people disagree and, but you're saying, no, this is my truth. And this is what I like, you know, the worst they can say is no, which mm-hmm. is fine. Right. And then you can decide yeah. what to do next, but you've always, you know, stood up and say, this is my truth. So I really admire that about you. Cause I think in publishing when, especially newer authors, illustrators, we're always trying to impress. We're always worried what editors will think or agents would think. And so I think in just meeting other folks, how nervous and scared they are to disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I find myself in the same situation. So I think it's a quality that is hard to grasp. So I think having it is incredible. I appreciate that. And I think because of our critique group, we've all lifted each other up in yeah. so many ways where it's been like, I'm thinking this or I'm feeling this. And each of us encouraging ourselves to speak up for ourselves, advocate for ourselves, be thoughtful and kind and really appreciate someone else's perspective or the fact that they disagree. And also still make sure that we communicate yeah. from our point of view. And I, I think that's a really hard thing. And it's been really helpful uh, that we as critique partners have been able to be there for those moments and those situations where we've been nervous maybe to to say what we really mean mm-hmm. <laughs> and do so as well. Like making sure taking a, a break and chilling out emotionally before saying things is always really helpful too. <laughs> 24 hours is the rule. Yeah. <laughs> Give myself a chance before I say something that I shouldn't say. <laughs> I'm human. It's all right. <laughs> Along, you mentioned a critique group is a really good way to kind of have that support system to help you make those decisions when you're faced with difficult ones. Are there any other things that have helped you to be able to cultivate that trust in yourself or that courage in those moments? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's interesting because I really never saw myself as a courageous person, which sounds absurd because like for so much of my life, I've heard other people tell me, like, I remember getting a check because I was moving from Texas to San Francisco by myself, never visited there before, had an opportunity to move for a job. And I remember the bank teller telling me, like, I would never have done this at your age. This is so courageous. And I remember thinking, like, I'm not courageous at all. I couldn't see it that way. And I think for a lot of my life, I couldn't see it as courage because I had a picture of what courage looked like. And that picture was always someone who did something without being scared. And I was terrified all the time. Like I was terrified. I was nervous. I didn't fully believe in myself. I was full of doubt. And so I couldn't acknowledge that that was courage. And I think now, uh, especially kind of exploring Greenlight story that comes out this year, I think that one really helped me identify like you can build yourself up and get that confidence and also be nervous and be like, wait do I really want to do this? I'm not so sure. And you can kind of have that stop and go for, for better, <laughs> for better word with the traffic light, um, <laughs> you know, that, that stop and go and, and kind of like, tell myself, yes, wait, no, like that kind of feeling, uh, and not be so sure. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but, uh, in thinking about the idea of, of courage, oh, your question also was like, how do I kind of beyond a critique group, find that courage or connect? 
I think a big part is also just giving myself space and time. I think so much of me wants to rush through things, especially when you're uncomfortable. It's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I want to get it over with as fast as possible. And I've learned that that is just not (laughs) the right approach for me. Sometimes I really do need to do the opposite of that and slow down and really give myself a chance to process and to kind of really listen and tune in, which is also a huge part of Greenlight's story too, um, to be able to figure out like, how am I actually feeling and and what do I need Um, and tune out kind of maybe everyone else's well-meaning advice for a bit and really listen to like what feels right for, for me, because sometimes people, people's advice mean well, but sometimes they can also come from their own places of fear. And that's not always super helpful advice. Uh, their, their advice might not be based in courage or confidence. Um, and that's not always the, the best kind of kickstart to moving forward. So normally taking that space to myself and really checking in with me and, and taking the time. That's beautifully said. And I can totally see that in your, well, I haven't read Green Light yet because it's not out, but I can see (laughs) it in the themes of that one. And also in Lou of just like how, you know, he had to look literally inside himself to find his own power. (laughs) So I just, I I could see a lot of those themes. And I was curious about um, if we can talk about Lou for a bit. So uh, just for people listening, so Lou is a fire hydrant who thinks his only purpose in life is to be a toilet for dogs. <laughs> but when the disaster happens, he discovers he was made for more, speaking of looking internally. And so what was the process like of taking your feelings and putting them into an inanimate object? Well, yeah, maybe it would help if I know you share this story with DK and I, but like share um how like how you came up with that idea i mean you were coming out of i think an event you're you're feeling a certain way and then you saw lou yeah 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 i went to um it was an event for writing and illustrating chapter books or illustrating chapter books i think it was it was a workshop and i left just bawling my ass out i was like i've never like this was during my like trust yourself take the time off quit your job kind of thing And I just had this moment of like, I am too far away. I can never do this. This is not possible for me. Um, This is never going to happen. I'm going to go back to to needing to find a a job in tech again. Um, And I was just like full of fear, full of just like self-doubt, really didn't think that that this was possible for me. And then I was walking and it was the middle of like this mall too. It wasn't like where you normally find a fire hydrant. It was like (laughs) in the middle of the mall next to this big like flower planter thing. And it was like part of just the walkway and it had this huge spot of pee on it. And so I wrote underappreciated fire hydrant. And I think like, I think that goes back to, to my own sensitivity is that oftentimes the things I'm feeling are reflected in the world around me. And I think at that moment, I saw something else that was, you know, living life, not realizing what their potential was and what their possibilities were. And I could just relate to that immediately. But the story I ended up writing at first was called I Am Not a Toilet. And it was really about a fire hydrant who knew who he was, but felt like, um, no one else knew. And would he ever get his chance, which very much was actually how I was feeling. And then there was a moment where it was like, what if he didn't know what he was and why would he know he's a fire hydrant? If he's never fought a fire, he wouldn't know this. He would have no idea. And so that's really what 
uh, shifted that story and made me kind of look at it uh, in a much different way than the original feeling that sparked the book. And so in your book, I'm curious, were there, was there a certain spread that was your favorite um, <laughs> as you made this and why? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a cut paper illustrator. So I paint paper and I cut it out and I collage it together. And the one that made me, I, I should start this with saying, I wrote a book that has a joke about dogs peeing on a fire hydrant. And I actually really don't like bathroom humor. I'm like really easily grossed out. Don't like books of this nature. It's why I try to do this as like not grossed out as possible in this book. And so when Lou tells you what happens to him, I thought it was important to not see the moment of it happening to him because I felt too intense and too gross. And so I made a spread that just said, well, you know, and it was just a giant stream of pee. And for me, it's still my favorite spread because it surprises me that I find it so funny, <laughs> but also making it was just so funny to me. Like the idea that I'm sitting at my desk, painting yellow paper, cutting it out <laughs> to make this giant stream of pee. It was just like this moment sitting there going like, I'm really doing this and I'm getting paid to do this. And this is just a really weird moment in my life. <laughs> and like, I think a lot of making the book, I don't really have these moments of remembering the exact uh, experiences, but that one I do. And it was just ridiculous. So I, I, I enjoy that one. I also think it's the moment of kind of the most laughs in the book too. And I really love that moment of connection, especially reading it out loud uh, when people don't mm -hmm. expect it. So <laughs> I love that that one's your favorite too. <laughs> And just it goes with the theme of surprising yourself, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> totally. Yep. Uh, just finding new things in yourself that you didn't know were there. So I just love that. Um absolutely. Now let's talk about green light. You're both yeah. coming out. I am so excited for it. I've seen um the illustrations you've shown so far, the cover and everything. So cute, your character. I don't know how you do it with cut paper, which feels like so solid. It just comes alive the way you do it. And then also an inanimate object. Like it, it is remarkable what you do. <laughs> so before we get into all of that, I just, um, would you mind telling us a little bit about the book? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think it takes a lot of time to kind of figure out who we are as artists and what our style is. And um, it's really nice to hear that it's appreciated and seen. Um, but yeah, the story green light is about a traffic light who feels rejected because every time she shines her light, all the cars race away. <laughs> but the story is really about the effect that feeling rejected can have on us as people and how we find our way back to believing in ourselves and sharing our light with the world again. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to share green light. It was a really personal one for me to write too. Beautifully put. And I would have needed it as a kid and need it now. I mean, we all need that. So um, if you wouldn't mind telling the story, because I, I read it somewhere, I think it was on Instagram, but the story of what inspired this one, because it also ties with Lou and I can just see like a through line with what we've been talking about. And it's so great. So would you mind telling that? Yeah, I was on a walk with my husband and our dog and we were just walking. I think we we're like, I think I was in process potentially or early in process with, with Lou or maybe close to making like a book deal with Harper. I don't remember the exact timing, but we were taking a walk and there was a giant line of cars at a traffic light, saw it turn green and all the cars left. And I was like, oh, that's really sad. <laughs> and, and my husband goes, yeah. <laughs> and that was basically it. It was just this moment of like, yeah, that's the story I want to write. Like this idea that sharing 
yourself or your just like truest essence in the case of a, a traffic light, it's your truest essence, your light, your energy and sharing it and just having all these people leave is just a heartbreaking thing. And I think what's so funny to me now though, is that, and what I really love about the book is that the idea that how we feel doesn't always map to objectively what's happening in the world. So Greenlight's felt experience is that people don't like her. She thinks I shine and everyone leaves. She has absolutely no idea that everyone loves green lights. <laughs> she like everyone loves a green light. Actually, it's red lights that people don't really love, but she doesn't have any clue. And so I think that's what's also important with the concept of self-esteem and thinking about that is how we perceive the world and how we perceive ourselves in the world or how other people react to us can very much um, affect how we feel about ourselves. And I think there was something just so interesting to me about the idea of a green light feeling really rejected when also knowing that people love a good green light. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, That's it's brilliant so nice to drive somewhere and never get stopped. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about just, you know, being mislabeled which has an impact on us. I think, you know, you said sensitive, but I wonder if you're so empathetic, you know, all of your stories are so um, heartfelt and emotional. And I think it's because you have a lot of empathy. And so like you have, you say sensitive, but like you are so um, like, you know, what's going around in your surroundings and you feel it, right. You feel Mm -hmm. other people. So like sympathetic, empathetic. And I feel like that goes into a lot of your stories because you look at a green light and you, almost like pull feelings from this inanimate object which is really cool so I think no more sensitive labels Um, (laughs) but really you're empathetic and you're wide-eyed and just you just know socially and um you're socially and self-aware I think it's what it is. It's not sensitive. You're just very aware and empathetic what's around you. I appreciate that and I, I think a lot of my life I didn't feel that way. I think so much of you know, even coming down to the way illustrated the books, like they have a lot of like not full color illustration, not every detail is there. The characters are limited to what they can see based on their physical space in the world. And I think that's, that's all of us, right? We can't have full perspective. We can't know everything that's going on around us or how other people feel. And so uh, we also have to learn to like tune into ourselves and also be aware of the environment. And I think for for a lot of my life, I really struggled to be aware of what was going on within me because I was so aware of what was happening outside of me. And so it's really interesting for me in these stories to kind of have the conflict of what's happening behind these characters and also really focusing on what's happening within the characters, uh, which is not a thing I was able to do for most of my life. Um, So while I could maybe empathize and connect with others, I couldn't always communicate that. I couldn't always actually be able to find a way to connect with others because I didn't have the language or understanding to do so. And it, I, I think through writing these books is a huge reason why I feel more um, capable at that and more interested in taking an interest in myself and my inner world, as well as taking interest in the inner world of other people. So what advice do you have for other creators? Yeah, it's it's a lot in general. And I think like, especially for a debut, there's just this feeling of like, am I ever doing enough? And I absolutely still feel like that for for Greenlight. But there's also, you know, needing to kind of trust the universe and say, I'm not in control of all of this. Like, I'm going to do what brings me joy. I'm going to put out what I I think I can about the these books. And 
hope that the rest will speak for itself. And I, I hold myself pretty strong to, to the books that I write and making sure that I just genuinely believe in them. So it's never too hard to want to talk about them. And I think like, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's just so much that happens in publishing that isn't ours. And I think there was like, especially after like debut year last year, a lot of it was like, how do I make sure my life is just so much more than this? Because there's so much in, in books we just don't control. And I needed to make sure that it was like, I have a life outside of here. And so that like, whenever like book things don't go the way you hope, or, you know, you're struggling on, on a book, being able to have something to look forward to and really take those breaks and take time away. And I think that was really hard the debut year. Cause there was just so much pressure of like, wanting to get out there and do things. But I learned with Lou, a lot of the, the, the bigger exciting or moments, like it takes time to build your audience. It takes time for people to get the book for libraries, to have it for people to, to know about it and want to talk about it and kind of needing to, to trust that. I have a question. Yeah. Go for it. Question. So, um, I mean, your books are amazing author illustrator, <laughs> but I think you also are, um, branching out into, illustrating or interest in illustrating um other books like being the illustrator of mm-hmm. absolutely other people's books um could you share like what types of books do you enjoy or would you enjoy illustrating yeah that's a one I love that you asked this question uh two it's really hard to to answer I think like I, I know, I'll know it when I see them, but I think the best way to put it is like really emotionally honest books are are so important to me. I think it's so important to not um, tell stories with cliches for kids. Like a cliche I didn't want to write for Greenlight was like, just ignore what everyone else thinks of you. That is not useful advice. It's a cliche that means well, but isn't helpful. And so I think for me, like illustrating another book that's emotionally honest, um, that really allows characters, their messy complexity and feelings is super important to me. Um, but I also think picture books are really meant to, to be read aloud. And so uh, a really strong read aloud is is definitely important to me, something to be like fun and, and playful. Um, I imagine illustrating other people's work that like some fun and joy because I feel like my books are so heavy for me personally and so illustrating um, a book that's really fun and playful um, would be a really nice mix to to what I'm I'm cooking up on the other end (laughs) as an author and illustrator well I'm sure you'll get bites your art is delightful so yeah I, I, I hope the right thing will will find me and if anyone's listening I'm open so tell your agent or editor or if you're <laughs> you're an editor and you're listening come find me <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will um to end did you have anything that you wanted to share about um green light or any other projects going on yeah so I've got a book coming out next year called the squish um it's about a sand castle who continues to get squished by the world and needs to find uh, their ability to to rebuild again. And the squish really broke open my whole life in in so many ways writing it and forced me to have to look at, um, you know, I wanted to write a book where the sandcastle would eventually just want to rebuild themselves. And it was like, yeah, they can't just keep doing this by themselves. This can't be the answer. Like, this isn't what life is like. You can't just keep doing it all alone. And I think that was a really hard thing for me to have to face uh, and to figure out like, what does that even look like when I 
haven't allowed myself to really live that that reality yet and and practicing that writing a book was was really hard like I mean it's it's absolutely a journey um it's tough and I think what's beautiful about it is the relationship I think that has grown for me with my books especially when I'm done with them like I think when I finish I think Angela knows this when I finish both Lou and Greenlight I wanted to toss them out the window I was like I don't like these books <laughs> like I'm done I'm over this like don't make me work on them anymore I felt like that when I finished the squish recently and I'm starting to slowly love it again the process isn't taking as long it took for Lou it took until I got my copies where I finally appreciated the book again <laughs> so it you know I yeah I think like what's what I think is most beautiful about writing what is hard for us is like being able to build that relationship with the things we've created as time goes on. And I think those relationships continue to change. And I continue to find new things in Lou that I didn't realize I was doing with that book and seeing that book differently. And I think the same thing is happening with Greenlight. And I think getting more brave at being able to share those stories. And, you know, I was absolutely terrified at sharing Greenlight. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous about the squish, but I think I'm feeling, I'm starting to get a little bit more confident the illustrations are a little bit different. So they are cut paper, but I also use sand from the beach I visited as a kid. Um, the main castles are all uh, with uh, HEB, my local grocery stores, like uh, grocery bags, recycled grocery bags to get that sand texture and color. So I'm really excited to show that one. It's a little different um, in the way I illustrated it and, and I'm just excited for it. <laughs> Thanks for sitting with us today, Brianna. I hope you all go out and buy Lou and pre-order Greenlight from your local independent bookstore. Thanks, Whiskey Geraldine, for our music and author Joanna Rowland for sponsoring this episode. If you would like to sponsor an episode, simply sign up as a paid subscriber at rachelmichellewilson.substack.com. If you like this episode, I hope you'll share it with a friend. After all, there's always more room at the kid table.